faith, hope, and love. Those three things, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul tells us that faith, hope, and love will be the only things that remain when it's all said and done. And he says that love is the greatest, in which we started out this Lifeblood series with, and we're going to actually end on love again. But we've been talking over the past few weeks, we've been taking what we call a spiritual pulse of our community of faith. Pastor Don said it really good last week when he was talking on faith. He said, we take a pulse to determine the sign of life. And in the same manner, we have gone through starting with love, taking that pulse to find a sign of life within us. We moved on to faith to see where that pulse is according to our journey with Jesus. And today, we're actually going to take another pulse to find out where the sign of life is within our hope individually, and corporately. So I guess the question is, is what's the purpose or function of hope? What, where, where does it play into this whole thing with Jesus? You know, faith is one thing that we can understand, and we can kind of get a grasp on it. And, and love, we seem to, you know, know everything about love, which is a lie. And, and then there's just hope. You know, I kind of liken it to Jesus and God and Holy Spirit. You know, it's like, we all, we know about God. Like, yeah, there's God. And then there's Jesus. You know, we can totally relate to Jesus because he's flesh and blood and he walked the earth and he's still like superhuman. And, you know, we're trying to figure that out. And then there's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's kind of like over there. Like, hey, you, like, I don't understand you, but I'll just put you where it's safe. Hope's kind of like that. It's kind of like, how do we define it? What do, what do we really do with this? Because understanding this, when it, comes, when it comes to hope, it's easy to believe in carnal hope. Now track with me for a moment. It's easy to believe in carnal hope because, see, we all have a form of carnal hope. We all have some form of hope. I mean, for example, we hope that it's going to be a nice day tomorrow. Or we find ourselves saying, like, I hope that I have a great week at work. Or I hope that New York lunch doesn't run out of Greek sauce for my Greek dog. Or, I kind of got the chills there. <laughs> or, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. <laughs> or, or we hope that Macy's is going to have another one-day sale. Or we hope that our checking account won't overdraft in the middle of the week. We all have some form of, of carnal hope. And hope is having this expectation. It's, it's having this desire that something specific is going to happen. We hope for specific things. We just get this edge within us, this inkling, and, and we have this expectation that maybe there's no guarantee. That's the whole thing about carnal hope. There's, there's never going to be a guarantee. It's just that hope, that wishful thinking that something's going to happen if it's in our favor. But we all have hope within our DNA, our spiritual DNA. See, when God created us, he put hope within us. He put within us a heavenly hope, a godly hope. And it's different than the hope of this world. Our spirit within inside of us cannot help 
but it yearns for hope to rise to the surface, especially when we're facing situations. We just have to train ourselves spiritually to let that hope rise up and crush that carnal hope, which we're going to talk about today. See, there is a difference when it comes to hope in Jesus because our hope in God gives us confidence for our present and for our future. That's the purpose of hope. We know that there's always a hopeful ending with God. With God, there's always a hopeful ending because according to Jeremiah 29, 11, which we love to quote a lot, it says that God knows the plans that he has for us to give us a future and a hope, right? But that's a different type of hope. Hope that comes from heaven is not just expecting something. It's having confident expectation. That is godly hope. Now, I know you're saying like, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Jason, like, so what, you just throw confidence in front of it makes it godly? Well, no, no, that's not the case, okay? That's not the case because I am going to break down the word of God for you so we have this understanding that confident hope is godly hope. Because see, when we have confidence, we have a confidence knowing that something is going to happen regardless of the circumstance, That's confident expectation or godly hope. But see, our confident expectation, our godly hope only flows from a relationship of intimacy with God. That is our foundation. That is our starting point. It's funny how God works because Pastor Jack prophesied my entire message in a matter of five minutes. Great confirmation. I can't guarantee I'm going to do the same thing. But it flows from this deep relationship. And I want us to look at two men who lived in this place of intimacy with God in the Bible. They understood what it meant to have hope, godly hope. What we know is that there was this nation called Israel. They had been in Egypt. They had been held captive. They had been enslaved. God comes and says, I'm going to deliver my people. So he sends Moses and he sends Aaron. And in the whole story, in a nutshell, the Israelites get and end up getting delivered from Egypt. But God gives them a promise. He just doesn't deliver them and say, okay, pats them on the butt and says, go on now, go live your lives. No, he says to them, not only am I going to deliver you out of Egypt, but I am going to give you a promise. And not only am I going to give you a promise, but I'm going to fulfill that promise. And part of that fulfillment of that promise is that you will go into a land that I have already prepared for you called the promised land. And he goes on to describe it saying that this place is paradise. It's a land flowing with milk and honey and the fruit and and everything. And everyone will be able to have land and everyone will be able to prosper. And it's so evident. It's probably one of the most evident things when it comes to favor that God had on this nation, not only aside from delivering them from Egypt, but what he was promising them and and guaranteeing they would have. And of course, there was stipulations on their part. But it ends up, we get to this point in the story where we're going to pick up in just a moment. We get to this point where the Israelites are about to send a bunch of spies into the land to spy it out. They're about to do a reconnaissance mission. 
Moses picks his best warriors and he says, you, you, and you, and you, and you, and you, you're all going to gear up and you're going to head into the promised land. You're going to scout it out for us. You're going to go on a mission. And here's what you need to bring back to us. You need to tell us what's going on, who's there and what's happening and all and so forth. And so this is where we pick up these scouts, these spies, these warriors, these soldiers, these men go into the promised land and they come back. And this is where we're going to pick up. And uh, in, in here in, in the promised land, we find these two specific guys named Caleb and Joshua. And I really like these dudes. Like these guys have something that's different from all the rest. Sets them apart. Caleb and Joshua, they come back and among the rest, they, they give a report that's different than everybody else. And as I was reading this scripture, I began to realize that there's something that we can learn from Caleb and Joshua, and it's this. Hope is connected to character. Hope is connected to character. Now, I'm not talking about character as an individual. I'm talking about the character of God. So I'm going to ask you to look with me here in Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start in Numbers 13. We'll make our way over to chapter 14, but in verses 27 through 33. This is what he says. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Now catch this. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we, cannot, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in their eyes, and they looked the same to them. Did you know that God doesn't call us to live from a place of negativity? We may face negativity, but God never calls us to live from a place of negativity. We're actually encouraged to discover his strength and his hope. We find that in Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4. He actually calls us to a place where we will move from his strength and move from a place of confident expectation, a.k.a. hope. Now, there were two camps in this scripture that we see. If we read this scripture again and we take our time reading through it, we begin to see that there was two camps in one camp. There was division. There was one camp that said, oh my gosh, it's, it's huge. It's just vast. We can't handle this. It, we're not mature enough to take this and, and we don't have the resources and we don't have the strength. And, and if you saw the people, and, 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 and I love how they throw in truth because it's how the enemy works. They throw in a little bit of truth and a little bit of deception. So they say, but yeah, but oh yeah, by the way, here's the milk and the honey and all the fruit and here's, here's the proof, but, 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 and then the deception rolls in. But here, here we just, we can't, we can't do this. It's, it's not going to work. We just, 
Time out. No, I think we just call the mission off. And it says that Caleb and Joshua rise up and they're like, no, 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 no. Like, we need to strike now. We need to go now. This, we've got this. We've got this. This is good. This is good. There's no problem here. Because they knew the character of God. See, the difference between the one camp within that camp, Israel, was they were not catching the character of the creator. Caleb and Joshua went into the promised land knowing the character of God, knowing what he was capable of doing. And they had expectant, confident expectation or hope. My question to you is, how well do you know the character of God in your own life? Think about it for a minute. How well do you know the character of God in your own life? How well we know the character of God in our own life will determine the depth of hope that we live from on a daily basis. Let me repeat that one more time. How well we know the character of God determines the depth of hope that we will live from in our lives day to day. I have been living this out, (laughs) and it wasn't originally my choice. (laughs) It was just like God showed up one night and really like rattled my world in a dream. And I had this crazy encounter with God through a dream. And and there was no hidden images or anything. It was like God himself in a dream speaking to me directly. And part of this was is that I had learned where he talked to me about knowing his character and talking to me about living from a place of his character daily. And he said to me, imagine what would happen if you start to live from this place instead of living the way you are now. And so I went into a lot of time where I would just sit before the Lord and I would begin to study his character. And I would begin to say, God, how does this part of your character apply to my life? How does this part of your character apply to my situation? And so I came out of that where now I realize that one, he wants to be my rest. Two, he wants to be my peace. And three, he wants to be my joy. And I'll explain that in just a second. But God wants to be something for you. And that's how our hope grows. See, following Jesus isn't always about what he's doing. A lot of times we get, we get really focused on what he's doing. Where's he doing it? How's he doing it? What's he doing? And sometimes God's just saying, look, don't worry about what I'm doing. I want you to discover who I am for you right now and who I want to be for you. Because he's teaching us how to have hope. It's so easy to become present-minded, right? Like how often, if we look through our day, how often do we live present-minded? Where all we see is our situation or the negativity in front of us, and we're present with it. Just like the Israelites. Man, they were excited. I'm sure they were a little nervous, but they're like, we're going to the promised land. Man, God like gave this to us. He said, we're going we're gonna to go in there. We've already won this. And then they get there and they become present-minded. Look at the giants. Look at the land. 
oh my goodness, there's no way that we can handle this. But Caleb and Joshua knew the character of God so well, and they knew who he was for them and who he wanted to be for them. And that's why they came back out saying, oh, are you kidding me? We could go today. We could, we could pack up in like three hours and be down there, whoop their butts and like establish some new stuff for our nation. I've come to this place where like I always have situations arising in my life, just like any one of you. Some situations are a little more intense than others. It always varies. But I've come to this place where I have learned that they have to submit to the majesty of Jesus. They have to submit to his character. So I'll have situations arise in my life that seem extremely big. Like so big, no matter what I physically do, nothing's going to stop it from happening. Relate to that? God said to me, I will be your rest, I will be your peace, and I will be your joy. And when I started to realize that, I started to live that out. And so when a situation would arise, I would simply say, oh, no, 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 no. This is what this is saying. But according to what God tells me, you're my rest. So therefore, I do not have to receive all the negativity. I don't have to be tired and I don't have to be worn out because you have a strategy. And when something else would happen, i say, no, 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 no. No, see, I don't have to receive your chaos. I don't have to accept your chaos because God says that he is my peace. And so you have to submit to his peace. And then instead of grumbling and complaining and being like, oh my goodness, throw me a pity party, get me a little hat, a little thing to blow, you know, it's, oh, you know, oh, Jesus, please save me, help me. No, I say, no, you know what? I don't receive any self-pity because I am going to look through this the lens of joy. And so I look at things with a lens of joy. And it's amazing that when I put that confident expectation in place because I know the character of God, how the situations will diffuse. And peace and rest and joy prevail. Who does God want to be for you? When we understand the character of God, nothing earthly can overwhelm us. Nothing earthly can overwhelm us. Some of us are living in a place that is earthly. And God wants you to move out of that earthly place into a heavenly place over your situation. I was talking with a businessman a few days ago, and I like vomited Jesus on him. Like, it's just like, you know, like I wasn't intending for it. But when you start to live from a heavenly place instead of an earthly place, your perception changes. And so he was talking to me and he's like, yeah, and and so when we sell this, we got to do it this way and and we got to make sure that this is put in place and all this. And so I got to tell my salesman to do this and all that because otherwise people might catch on. And I said, no, God does not want you to do it that way. He never designed for you to do that way. You're a Christ follower. You need to sit before the Lord, get a strategy and do things different and he'll bless your business. Blech. 
nothing earthly will overwhelm us. That includes our insecurities and our inadequacies. You know what I think about? I think about Gideon. That guy had a self-image problem. Think about it. Gideon's down here. He's hiding in this pit and he's threshing wheat because he's afraid. Now, you know what? I'd probably be in the pit too, let's be honest. You know, because he's afraid he's going to be attacked. They're going to come. They're going to steal his crops. But he had a self-image issue. And God shows up and he's like, Gideon, I want you to go and make war because I've already given them to you. And Gideon's response is like, but God, who am I? Really? I mean, I'm puny. I don't work out. I don't have the skills. Like, it's just, it's not adding up. And, and God says to him in Judges 6.15, he says, mighty man of valor. Because that's God's character. See, when we look at the character of God, there is no negativity. Because negativity cannot exist within heaven. And so when we come before God and God tells us, go and do this, and we want to change, we want to trade in that godly hope for that carnal hope, and we want to stand before God and say, but I don't have the money, God, and I don't have the skills, and I, I can't speak, or I, I just don't have time to serve, or, or who am I because I never learned to do that, and, and why don't you send them because they're better at it than I am, and God says, no, 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 and he looks at us and he says, mighty man of valor, mighty woman of valor, you're not going because of yourself. You're going because of my character. And it changes everything else. Hope thrives from knowing the character of God. When we know his character, it builds that faith that Pastor Don talked about. And that faith builds trust. And when we trust, we enter a place of confident expectation, which is godly hope. And when we enter a godly hope, we have no choice but to rejoice. We trust who God is for us. We give thanks and then position ourselves to receive his blessing, his promise, and his favor. That's what Joshua and Caleb did. They didn't live a place of negativity, but they were excited. Expectant hope or confident hope actually gives us a peace that guards our hearts and our minds. Our hearts and our minds that the enemy wants to infiltrate, that he wants to intimidate us with. The Israelites, the other spies that were with them, they didn't know how to live from that place of confident expectation or hope. So therefore, their mind and their heart was unguarded. And we can see scripture after scripture how their mind and their heart was unguarded and what happened. But Joshua and Caleb were in such a place of peace that their hearts and minds could not be penetrated. The second thing I found out about this was Joshua and Caleb also show us that hope is connected to promise. Hope is connected to promise. God gave a promise to the Israelites. We've established that. We're going to have the promised land, land flowing of milk and honey, all these great things. Super, cool, wow, awesome. But Caleb and Joshua, before they even went into the promised land, before they even saw the promised land with their physical eyes, they already understood because of God's character that they were going to reap the promise. My question to you is, what are God's promises to you? See, 
I, I, don't, I don't want you just to, to, get, to get in that mindset of like, well, the promises of God is that he's loving, he's joy, he's peace, he's kind. Like, we all know about the, the communal promises of God, the scriptural promises of God, and those are critical and important. But let's take it to a next level in our faith and our hope in Jesus. Can we do that? Can we take a new level as Christ followers and and push to the edge of the presence of God and call on him and say, what are the promises you have for me individually? Because they're there. I'm not talking some prosperity gospel. I'm talking about scriptural God-given promises that he has waiting for each and every single one of us if we're just willing to step to the edge and ask for them. And the thing is, is when we ask for those promises, we better buckle up. Because what that means is that God looks at us and he says, okay, you want this promise? You want it? Yeah, yeah, we do. You really want it? Yeah. You really want it? Yes. You really want it? Yeah, I want it. And we have no clue what we're asking for. And like the three of them are sitting up there at the table and are like, hey, look, this, check this out. He wants it. Oh, just wait. No, that's just in my mind, but... That's just how, like, I kind of see the three of them up there. But, but anyway, getting back to scriptural truth here. <laughs> what happens is, is when we ask God for that promise, he says, sure, I'll give you the promise. But now the journey that you're going to take is going to prepare you for the promise. And that journey will include our character building, which will hurt. And it'll include sacrifice, which will hurt. Notice the theme here. But the end result of the promise will be worth it for what you endure and persevere. My encouragement to you is don't let your promises become dust collectors. We all have those little things in our house, those knickknacks or things or that pile that just sits and it collects. One, either because we don't know what to do with it or two, we're just bored with it. Or three, we just got it and now we don't know what to do, so we just leave it. And we have that motivation that someday we'll throw it away or someday we'll pick it up and learn or someday we'll do something with it. Same way with our promises from God. Don't let your promises collect dust. Pursue them, go after them. Because once you know the character of God, once you have that place where you and God are like this, and you know that you can confidently expect he will follow through on what he tells you, then you can come to this place and you know that those promises for you are going to be fulfilled. Maybe it's a promise for your family that it's just hanging in the balance. Maybe it's a promise for for you and your job that's just hanging in the balance. I kind of liken it to a glass of water. It's like we pray and we ask God and the the glass continues to fill with water and it gets up to that point where all it's going to take is just a little bit more to overflow and then we stop because we want to be cautious because we're not sure the kind of mess that it's going to make. And God's just waiting and saying, no, just push it. Go. I need you just to tip over a little more. Let it overflow and see what begins to happen. In Numbers chapter 14, 
This is where we pick up with Joshua. And this is what it says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephnuen, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Man, I love that. I just, let's just read it one more time, just one part. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. When have you said that about a situation lately? Man, this is exceedingly good. I got fired from my job. This is exceedingly good. Now, I'm not being sarcastic, but when have you approached it with that? This is exceedingly good because you know what? This didn't take God by surprise. So I'm excited for what he has coming. It's going to be bigger and better. If the Lord is pleased with us, if we're living in right standing, he'll lead us into that land. He'll lead us into that promise. A land flowing with milk and honey, a land flowing with blessing and favor and truth. And will give it to us. Give it to us. Yeah, you're going to have to fight some. You're going to have to contend. You're going to have to sacrifice. You might have to pray. You might have to fast. But God's going to give it to you. If we know the promises before us, we have to stand long enough in the presence of God to see them. Church, it's going to take some contending on our part. It can't be shotgun prayers. You know, when, when you shoot a shotgun, it has BBs in it and they spread. Like you can't really aim and be precise with a shotgun. For all of you who hunt, you understand this. But you can't like have a target up and plan to hit the bullseye with a shotgun because it spreads so far. You need a rifle. You need accuracy. You need something that will pinpoint and hit that target. It's the same way with our prayer life, the same way with our intimacy with Jesus. Praying in the car every morning here and there and counting that as your time with Jesus ain't going to work anymore. Watching the latest show on TV about evangelist so-and-so isn't going to cut it anymore saying that that's your time of prayer with the Lord. What do you think the disciples did before TV? <laughs> oh, wait, what's this, the Bible? Oh, oh, I read this, I pray this, that's what, almost forgot. If you want to know the promises of God, you've got to stand in his presence and you've got to contend for it, which means you might have to take more than 10 minutes. God might say to you, I want you to fast. I want you to give up food for two days. And I want you, every time you go to eat a piece of food, I want you to pray and I want you to seek my face. We have to contend. And that is what gives us hope because hope will not allow the enemy any place to lie to us. Once we know the character of God and we know the promises of God, that confident expectation sets in, that hope sets in, and it won't allow negativity or lying of the enemy to affect us because we know the character of God. And so when negativity comes our way, we can stand there and be like, really, seriously? Like, really, you want to waste my time with this? 
because obviously you don't know what God's doing. Obviously you don't understand the character of the God that I serve because he's more powerful. He's more loving. He provides for me. He takes care of me. He's my joy. He's my rest. He's my peace. He's kind to me. He shows me his goodness. That's what happens. We don't retreat. We just reposition ourselves before the Lord. I love what he says here. The land we pass through and explore is exceedingly good. We got to change our perception. Because when we grasp heavenly hope, that confident expectation, everything becomes good because of God's character. As Christ followers, we shouldn't get distracted by the enemy because hope gives us the ability to stay focused. My mentor reminds me from time to time, he has this saying, and it's completely genius because it's from God, but he says that the enemy has a budget and God doesn't. The enemy has a budget and God doesn't. Who do you serve? Do you serve someone that has a budget or do you serve somebody who doesn't have a budget? Do you know that intimidation is the cheapest cheapest thing on a, on a budget? That's all the enemy can afford is intimidation. So when the enemy comes to intimidate you or let's just say the enemy will use somebody to come and intimidate you, you can just look and be like, oh, I'm sorry. That's not in my budget plan because I don't have one. I'm sorry that you're limited. But the God that I serve knows no limitations or boundaries. And therefore, what my God brings does not compare to what you have. We should always be focused because we're waiting on God. We should always be focused because we're consumed with his majesty. And when we're consumed and focused on him, that's when he begins to speak his promises to us. Finally, what Caleb and Joshua understood is that they weren't just contending for a piece of paradise. They understood that hope is connected to inheritance. I've grown to love this word, inheritance. Not because I've inherited anything, <laughs> but because what I know I'm inheriting from God. Man, I really like this word inheritance. I, I really do. A lot of times I'll walk around just muttering to myself, inheritance, 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 inheritance. Because I understand the character of my creator. And I understand that I can confidently expect he will follow through on his promises because he is a gentleman and also knowing that he has promised me an inheritance. Having an inheritance simply means that we receive a specific portion of something because we're heirs. We're heirs. For example, my mom, if she passes away, has set aside for me an inheritance. 
And she's explained to me, when I pass, this is where my will is. This is what it states in the will that you'll get and that your brothers will get and so on and so forth. That is an inheritance. Now, no one else has access to that inheritance because they're not my mom's child. So no one has a right to come in and take that inheritance because of who I am and because of who my family is. Now, someone can try and steal that inheritance, but the overall picture is we're given given it to us because of who we are. Now, if you are a Christ follower, you have an inheritance. And now I'm going to drop a big bomb on you that I'm going to let set for just a few, few minutes. Do you realize that according to Scripture, you are heirs to the throne of God? Now let's pray. Just kidding. Some of you are like, yes! No. Some of you still need set free. (laughs) See, let's just resonate in this. We are heirs to the throne. Now, I know right now there's a lot of negativity throwing through your head. All these thoughts are coming back. How can I be an heir to the throne of God? Are you kidding me? God knows not to put me in charge because things are going to go wrong real quick. Are you kidding me? If I was God, I'd kill everybody in the earth and leave myself. You're, you know, I mean, oh, oh, sorry, thinking out loud. I know you're thinking negative thoughts right now about yourself, and that's the plan of the enemy. God delights in us so much. He smiles over us so much. He loves us so much. He is so overwhelmed by us that he is so confident in us that if Father God, Holy Spirit, and Jesus, something would happen to them, that they have a backup plan that will take over the throne because we're next in line for the throne. Who would think of that? Obviously not us. But did you catch it? It's not about taking over the throne of heaven. It's about how God views us. Which in return, that's why he gives us an inheritance. Aside from that, God has an inheritance waiting for each one of us. There's a lot of unclaimed inheritance that God is just waiting to pour out on us. See, the Israelites were happy not inheriting the promised land because of what they saw in front of them. They were good not contending. They were good not sacrificing. The two guys, Joshua and Caleb, though, were like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to settle for what is unclaimed. God's given us this. This is our inheritance. We're going to go get it. For some of us in this place, we have settled for unclaimed inheritance. We're good. We're just good. Because we don't want to contend. We don't want to go the distance We don't want to sacrifice what it will take to get the inheritance that God wants to give us.
Let's go ahead and read in, in Numbers 14 here as we come to a close. Numbers 14, verse 9. Really love this. Only do not rebel against God and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us and do not be afraid of them. That right there is confident expectation. That's hope. That's war talk. (laughs) When things start to go bad emotionally, mentally, physically, even spiritually, we have to recover quickly. See, when it says that the the remainder of the spies, aside from Joshua and Caleb, the remainder, it says they spread word throughout the rest of Israel, meaning the nation. It wasn't like five people or six people and a little tiny, you know, pocket of gossip. This, This went throughout the entire nation of Israel. Joshua and Caleb recovered quickly. They immediately responded back with the word of God. They immediately responded back with the character of God. So when when everyone was saying, no, it's too bad, they're going to devour us, they're bigger than us, we can't handle this, they respond back and say, oh, no, 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 don't rebel against God. Don't start now. Don't be afraid. We're going to devour them. The protection has been lifted off of them. The Lord is with us, and so therefore there's no reason to be afraid at all. They recovered. When we reposition ourselves before God, our hope begins to flourish again. It's when we get away from the Lord. It's when we take our eyes off of God. It's when we stop praying. It's when we stop returning to those promises that he's given to us that hopelessness sets in. And when hopelessness sets in, that's when we begin to view everything as a giant in front of us. We can get hit. And it may seem that our hope is weakened. And it's only because the enemy is trying to intimidate us. In fact, the enemy's wondering if we're going to show up for the fight. He's hoping that we won't. See, he has carnal hope because that's all he knows. We have godly hope, which we know when we show up for the fight, God will back us up. So we can't cry out for hopelessness. Not after this morning. We can't cry out for hopelessness anymore. Our license has been stripped. Instead, we have to approach God with thankfulness. We have to change the way that we pray. Over the past uh, probably month, month and a half, I've changed the way that I pray. It's extremely challenging but I'm praying according to the character of God. I don't ask God for anything anymore. I've stopped asking God for things. And I've started thanking him for them. When I pray for people who are sick, I don't ask him to heal them. I just thank him that he's healing them. When I'm having financial problems, I don't ask God to provide. I give, and then I thank him that he will provide. When I need counsel on something, I don't ask God for counsel. I just simply thank him that he's going to provide the counsel that's needed. Because I know the character of God that I serve, 
he will always come through because he promised. In fact, I was on vacation just a week or two ago, and in my quiet time, I was praying to the Lord. And as I was just communing with him, he asked me this question and he said, when, what would it be like if when people ask for advice or counsel, you would stop listening to them? Okay, like, where are we going with this? And I said, well, what do you mean, Lord? He says, what if you stop listening to what's coming out of their mouth and start listening to what I'm saying in the spirit? I don't, uh, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, you mighty man of valor. He said, what if, what if when people speak to you, you're not listening to just what they're saying, but you're listening to what I'm saying, and instead of responding back in your carnal knowledge, you respond back with what I'm saying to you right then, even if it doesn't apply specifically to their situation. Okay, do you trust me? Well, yes. Do you have hope? Yeah, I confidently expect. Then obey me. That's what it means to pray with thankfulness. And that's when we discover God's power. This is why our inheritance is found in the scriptures. And then it's reinforced through prophecy. Now, hear me out. When we go back to verse 9, I'm bringing this to a close, but don't, don't zone out on me. This is very important. This is critical. Okay? Don't speed read through this message. You know, speed reading, you read the first paragraph, and then after that, you read the first line of every paragraph, and then read the last paragraph. Don't speed read through this message. This is important. See, Joshua and Caleb understood that their inheritance came from the word of God and prophecy. Going back to verse 9, we can see this. They said, first of all, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't disobey the Lord. Just obey God. That's scriptural. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. That's prophetic because God said, don't worry, I'm going to remove their protection. I'm going to take it away from them. Because we will devour them. Again, part of the prophetic Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. That's scriptural. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is scriptural. Scriptural prophecy. And do not be afraid of them. Understanding this, we take the word of God and everything that we do is filtered through it. It's not the other way around. We don't chase after prophecy. (laughs) We're in trouble. We don't chase after prophecy because Paul says it comes in part, meaning that we don't always get the fullness of it. We chase after the word of God. And God speaks to us through the word and then he confirms it through prophecy. Just like this morning, Pastor Jack was obedient to the spirit And I had prepared through the scriptures a message for you and he follows it up with the prophetic and he prophesies and confirms what I was going to say. What is God saying to you about your inheritance in the word of God? 
Because when you tap into that, God will be so, so good that he will follow up prophetically to confirm what he's saying to you. He always does it. He'll follow up. But if you're not willing to contend for it, you're going to miss out. And get this, don't, don't settle in your mind for something that you can do with your resources and physically and with your skills and your passions and call it your inheritance from God. Because that is not scriptural. An inheritance is always bigger than us. Always. See, Joshua and Caleb and the rest of these spies, they did not have the resources or the manpower or anything to go in there and take out all the ites. This was a godly inheritance, meaning it was bigger than them. I know what my inheritance is because it's bigger than me. I have contended for it, and I know that no matter how much money I put forth, no matter how much I gather around me, no matter how much knowledge I have, I know that I can't fulfill that inheritance because it's bigger than me. It has to be a God thing. And let me tell you what, when it becomes bigger than you and you step into that place of inheritance and it's the right timing of God, he will provide for you the resources and the favor and the strength and the people that you need to follow through with it. Until then, you're just wasting time and you're burning up energy. Our inheritance is always bigger than us. So let me close with this. Remember, our hope is confidently expecting because we know the character of God that he will follow through on his promises. And out of those promises, he's the one who gives us our inheritance. Now on your sheets, on the back at the very bottom, it says live it out. I'm going to be real quick to explain this. This week, I'm going to encourage you to go back, read Numbers 13 and 14. Read the whole chapters, not just the verses that I mentioned. Read the whole chapters. Pay attention specifically to Joshua and Caleb and what they say. Look at their response to everything that they come back with. Take your situation, whatever it is, take it to the Lord. Write down and declare it back to him daily. Take your situation back, whatever it is, take it back to him write it down and say, God, this is my situation. Because he wants to hear from us. Like, yeah, but, you know, God already knows. So no, don't be a cop out. Like, let's, let's apply ourselves. Take your situation to the Lord and declare it back to him. Once you do that, ask him what your inheritance is for that situation. Write it down and start praying it through until it's accomplished. Whether it takes six days, six months, six years, Pray it until it comes to pass. Then begin to expect that oppression in your life begins to break. Begin to expect that the Lord's presence is going to rest on you. Not only that, expect that the joy of the Lord will overwhelm you. And finally, expect that new vision and hope for your future and that you will break forth. Would you stand?
I'm just going to pray for you. And if you want, you can take a posture of receiving, just kind of putting your hands out and receiving. I don't really understand how it happens, but when we pray, there is power. There is authority that goes out. And when we take a posture of receiving, it's just simply saying to God, Lord, we're just wanting whatever it is that you have for us. Father, this morning, we're just overwhelmed by your goodness. We're overwhelmed by your kindness. We're overwhelmed by your love. And this hope that you have for us, this journey of faith, hope, and love that you have for us is so intense. And it's designed for every single one of us. And we, we are so grateful for faith, hope, and love. We ask that you would, would continue to reveal to us the depths of each one of these areas. Take us to a place, God, that we have not yet touched. Stir our spirit, man, so deep. Give us this clarity that you delight in us. That your affection runs so deep that we don't have to feel unworthy anymore. Father, I declare over us that, that we are free to change, that we are free to think incredible thoughts because of how you see us, that we're free to dream. God, that we are free to, to live from a place of confidence and confident expectation in you. Father, I declare that we are free to enjoy your smile over us, that we are not slaves, that we're free to live within your hope. God, I pray that you would accelerate our journey with you, that you would close the door to, to our apathy, to our, our self-pity, to our shame and our guilt and our condemnation and to our hopelessness. Father, I, I decree that your goodness will overwhelm us in such a way that repentance will come so easy to us. Father, I pray that the changes you are making in us will be enjoyable. And that, Father, you are going to promote us to a fresh level of hope. Not just now, but for our future. And God, I declare that you are the I am over our lives and therefore the I am, you are doing a new thing within us. Not, not that you're going to do a new thing, but you are doing a new thing in us now. And I pray in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are teaching us how to encounter you, just you, instead of our circumstances. We declare all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Have a joyful week.